Welcome to Mastering Money, the Educator's Edition, where we explore the latest in financial literacy education. I'm Doretta Thompson, Financial Literacy Leader for Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada. We provide no-cost programs and free online resources that help Canadians own their finances and learn the language of money. This is the first in a special series of Mastering Money podcasts, focusing on the financial and mental health impacts of COVID-19. Our guests will shed light on the current situation, as well as share insights on how to navigate these uncharted waters. You can find our podcasts on Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, and wherever else you find your podcasts. Please do rate and review us. If you have any questions, you can get in touch with us at financialliteracy at cpacanada.ca. Today, I'm speaking with Mary Ann Baton. Director of Strategy and Collaboration, Workplace Strategies for Mental Health at Canada Life. Marianne is the author of several books on workplace mental wellness and has been instrumental in improving and resolving mental health issues for individuals and teams. Marianne is also a founder of Mindful Employer Canada and continues as an advisor to this not-for-profit organization. Welcome, Marianne. Thanks a lot, Doretta. It's a pleasure to chat with you today. So how have you been dealing with COVID-19? I think my story is not um, unusual. I got home from business travel on March 6th. And of course, I was aware at that point about this virus that was happening in the world. And it wasn't until March 11th that they called it a pandemic. And it was on the 16th that they announced the borders were closing and the 17th was um, when here in Ontario, we all ended up on um, lockdown, on isolation. But I think with uh, everything going on, I was able to stay focused. I had work to do. I had um, all of my family was safe and I was very grateful for that. So I just continued on as usual. But then about April 20th, I really had a rough day. I woke up feeling uh, unsettled. I had um, pressure in my throat and in my chest. I had this feeling like almost like a sinus headache. Um, And I had trouble focusing and I just did not feel well. And yet I understood at that time that this was not the beginning of a flu or the virus or something worse. I understood that what I was feeling that day was anxiety. And I stepped back um, to really look at, okay, why now? Why all of a sudden is this getting to me when I've done so well? And because I took that time to reflect, I realized that what had happened in Nova Scotia had affected me in a way that it was like this strength that I had, this focus that I had suddenly collapsed. And I was overwhelmed, overwhelmed with sadness, overwhelmed with a sense that things were not as they should be. And I really had to shift at that time, stop pushing forward, stop just saying, yes, it's all fine and take care of myself. 
I had to go to bed earlier. I had to work slower. I had to reach out to the people in my life that I cared about in order to reinforce those connections. And I think, Doretta, that that really helped me to say, we all have to be aware and we all have to be kind to ourselves that it doesn't matter if we're some so-called mental health expert, that life can overwhelm us. Life can throw us sideways. And right now, that can happen to anyone at any time. My message is, let's be self-aware and let's be gentle. That we're not going to have every day where we're saying, oh, yeah, I'm fine. I think that's a really profound observation that we need to kind of be aware of what we're feeling and be kind to ourselves. In the face of the virus changing, the news changing, the overwhelming sort of presence of news in our lives, are there ways that we can help to accept where we are, um, ways to think about it that will kind of ease the burden a bit? There's a few things, Doretta, that have been really helpful for myself and for many others. The first one is that we need to curate what we are taking in. So whether that's social media or it's broadcast news or it's the radio, we need to think about um, that statement, garbage in, garbage out. If we're watching sensational Um, news all the time about fear and doom and gloom, that will color our mental health. We need to stay aware, uh, but it's very simple to take in the news five minutes, two or three times a day. You're going to get what you need to understand what the best practice is, what the sources that are credible have to say to us and yet you're not going to be overwhelmed with it. I have found sources of news that are positive, are both credible, but they're not sensational. Um, In Canada, I think listening to the newscasts that our leaders are giving us each day It can be the best source, can be a source where you hear what you need to hear about what's shifting and changing. But the other part, which I think is equally as important, is that we curate our social media. I have LinkedIn. I have um, over 4,000 connections on LinkedIn. I have Facebook, which is my family and friends. And... But I have found a way to turn off anyone who is unusually um, angry, negative, uh, ranting and raving, putting other people down. I just don't allow that on my feed. So for me, social media is a place for like-hearted people. They don't always agree with me, but they always agree that we should strive towards the greater good. And we can do this with our social media in a way that makes it a good experience for you. That's interesting. 
the idea that we can curate both our, our access to news and curate our social media. It's like we're trying to find ways to be in control of a situation where there are many things in which we're not in control. Yeah, exactly, Doretta. And, and I think somebody said, find what you can control and control the heck out of it. Because what we can control more than anything are our thoughts and our emotions. And the way we control that is by choosing what we take in, choosing what we focus on. And uh, there are people that have never tried to uh, manage to control their thoughts, their emotions. And once they do, once they understand the power they have to do that, their life changes for the better. So how do we go about learning how to control our emotions? So emotions are simply information. If, um, as I described to you, when I woke up and felt really down, really blue, I, re I understood this was information that I was getting. It was not who I am. It was not my fate that now this is it. This is what I have to experience. It was information. And I paid attention to it to understand the source. What was different about today? What were the thoughts? What was the information I had that was making me feel this way? And when I examined it and understood what it was, then I took that information to change how I was experiencing the world in order to make it better. Now, Doretta, I don't want to at all minimize the experience of clinical mental illness because that goes so far beyond me feeling blue for a day and there are times when emotions are information that we can act on and there's times when we are ill and need to reach out for help they're not the same thing if you're actually ill then it will be very difficult for you to take that information and act on it that's why right now there's so many great resources that are available. So much more in mental health is free right now than has ever been. And I just want to share, there's a website called eMentalHealth.ca, which has ways on there that you can say, is what I'm feeling normal in this abnormal situation, or is it something more? So you can actually screen yourself, and then there's so many places to reach out for help. If you feel that you're in crisis, we now have a national crisis line, Crisis Services Canada, where you can reach out and they will find you um, a local service to help you with whatever you're dealing with. And Kids Help Phone, which has been there as long as I can remember, now has text and chat functions as well as their hotlines. So all you have to do is put that into your search engine, Crisis Canada, eMental Health, or Kids Help Phone, and you can find what you need. But if you really feel like, no, that's I'm not at that place right now, then stop. Look at the emotions you're feeling. Question why you might be feeling it and then change things 
And people who have dealt with depression all their lives have told me that the first thing they do when they feel like they're, they're sliding again is they change something. Because if you do what you've always done, you're going to keep going in that direction. So you need to change course, change what you're consuming, whether that's news or it's the food you're eating or it's substances you're consuming. Change what you're focusing on. Change um, who you're reaching out to in order to change your situation, the emotion that you're feeling. So stop, think, ask why, change something. I think we're all kind of familiar with the stages of grief. Is there something very similar that's happening in our stages of moving through the reality of this, of, of COVID-19 and how it's affecting our everyday life? Yeah, so um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was the individual responsible for the stages of grief. And since then, people have taken that curve, that um, approach, and applied it to the issue of change. I don't think there's any of us right now not going through change. So if we look at that model, the first sort of stage, and to be clear, Doretta, these are not linear. We can bounce back and forth all through these stages. So the idea is to identify where you are and deal with that rather than saying, okay, I've progressed this far. So the first one that they talk about is shock. So it's, it's like, what do you mean a pandemic? What's going on? Why can't I go to work? Where, you know, and we're just surprised at what it is. Another stage is denial. And that's where we say, you know what? It's just like the flu. It's not a big deal. I'm invincible anyways. This is not, you know, people are blowing this out of proportion. And then there's a stage of frustration. And it's like, well, you know what? This, this is not what I was planning. I had things to do, people to see, places to go. And I'm not liking this. It can even be anger that this is ridiculous and why am I being put through this? So that stage of frustration, people can really get stuck there. The, they, they can even slide down to something worse, which is where I was that day, where you're in a depressed state, where you have very low mood, low energy. Um, and the difference between frustration and, and that depressed mood is that you don't even have the energy to get frustrated because you're just like, I, I don't care. This is not where I want to be. But again, we can stay in that bottomed out mood for a long time if we don't take action, if we don't change things. Another stage that they have um, on this model is experiment. And that's where we start to say, okay, I have to do things differently now. I can't do what I've always done. And so what is it that I will do? And we try things. Well, maybe if I go to bed earlier, okay, well, I went to bed earlier, but I didn't sleep. It didn't work for me. So maybe I'll start up using devices at nine o'clock in order that my brain can start to slowly settle down rather than just work until 11 and then say, I can't sleep. Maybe I'll, I'll um, start eating more healthy food 
because all this sugar or all this salt is keeping me up. So we start to experiment with what might make it better for me. And I think that's a stage all of us should be in, if we can, to start to say, if I was to have the ideal healthy life in this setting, being isolated from home with or without uh, other people, what sorts of things could I put in place that would optimize this particular experiment? And I like to say that in this very moment, we are living through history. This, these are going to be historical times that we're going to look back on for the rest of our lives. We're going to talk about our experience of the COVID crisis. And we can create the story that we're going to tell. We can talk about who we reached out to to get help in this time. Who was there for us? And how did we help other people? Who did we reach out to to support? And how did we cope? What was the challenge that we faced? But then how did we face it? So this is a really important place. And all of this idea about being in the moment, thinking about how you're going to tell this story is really what mindfulness is all about. Being present, being aware that we are currently creating those memories. The other two parts of the Kubler-Ross change curve um, are things that probably are going to happen when lockdown is over. So it, one is decision. Decisions about how we're going to create our new normal. And then the other one is integration, which is really when we start to put everything together. And so many of my friends, family, colleagues keep talking about what do you think is going to change? What is going to be different in life when this is over? Are more of us going to work from home? Are we going to have stronger connections? What is that new normal? And uh, thinking about it, thinking about the new normal is also a way for people to focus on what might be better because of this. I'm really interested in that observation that we can create the story of how we lived through COVID-19. It's a very powerful message. But I think for some of us, we have this kind of stoicism of, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, even when maybe we're not okay. Um, how do we do as, as you've suggested and have those conversations, um, reach out for help, offer help for others, accept help for ourselves. When a lot of times we've kind of built this image of ourselves as being able to endure just about anything. Yeah, Doretta, that's such um, an interesting concept for me because I was that person who said, I can do this, I can get through anything, I can manage, and then I burned out. And when I burned out, um, it was like I had lost all enthusiasm, all motivation, all energy. And to be clear, I never missed a day's work when I burned out. I just lost any enjoyment, really, for 
uh, work um, and and generally for life. And that's a horrible place to be. It really is. But here's some of the things that helped me. Somebody said to me, why aren't you reaching out for help now? And I said, because I don't want to be a burden on anyone. And they said, oh, so you think all the people who reach out to you for help are a burden? And I answered very honestly, not at all. I like to help people. I don't feel that way. I just think when someone needs help that I am honored that they ask me, that they trust me to help them. And they said, well, how do you feel when you help people? I said, I feel great. I feel that I have purpose. I feel that I have value. And then the question was, so why do you deny that feeling to all the people who care about you? Why do you hold them at arm's length, never really letting them in, making them believe that there's something wrong with them, that they need help, but you never do? And it was honestly like someone slapped me in the head because I realized the truth of what they said, that when you hold people at arm's length, when you always say, I'm fine, I don't need anything, you are preventing real intimacy, real connection with people because we want to feel that we have mutually beneficial relationships, not just that you're being patronized or um, taken care of by others, but that we are connected together. When I understood this and I started to not only um, accept help, but to reach out only because I wanted to improve my relationships, it revolutionized the quality of the relationships that I had with people around me. And I believe that vulnerability, being able to say, I hurt, I stumbled, I fell, is what real courage real strength is all about. For those who have struggled with this, that kind of stiff upper lip um, with with never asking for help, or, f or for those who are dealing with loved ones who are very much like that, do you have some practical suggestions of how to start those conversations? Just how one goes about reaching out or or expressing that kind of vulnerability? Because I think for many people, that's a really difficult thing to do. It's, it's interesting that, um, that what we're working on right now, a group of us, and we're all volunteers working on this, is a resource that will actually give you a script to reach out for help. Because we know that it's difficult for so many people to do so. Let me share the script with you. It starts off with, right now I am feeling, and then we ask them to name it. Because if you can't name what you're feeling, you can't deal with it. When we say about using emotions as information, if you don't know what that emotion is, then you can't use it that way. So what are you feeling? Is it overwhelmed, frustrated, sad, alone, afraid? You need to name it. The next statement 
is this is probably due at least in part to and here you're actually tracing the emotion. I realized that part of the reason I was feeling overwhelmed on that particular day was learning about the tragedy in Nova Scotia. So I'd been dealing with the, the incredible amount of loss and grief that was coming strictly from COVID-19, but this added piece was just too much for me. And that's what happened. So being able to name where the emotion's coming from, at least in part, is part of it. The next thing is the most difficult part for me is, and again, you have to name that. What is it that's the most difficult part for you? For me, it was feeling hopeless, helpless in that moment. And so if I can name that, then I can address it. Um, for me, it was, okay, I can't do anything about what happened in Nova Scotia, but what can I do? Well, who can I help? How can I reach out? The next statement is, I'm trying to cope by. So you tell the person, what are you doing now? So I'm trying to cope by helping others. And what I would like most from you right now, this is the next statement. Because... We talk in uh, Plan for Resilience, which is a free resource that's available. We talk about if you don't know what you need, then you can reach out to the wrong person. Like maybe what I need right now is a shoulder to cry on, but I reach out to the person who says, come on, suck it up, you can do this, you've done this before. But that's not what I want. I want a vent. I want to cry. Or maybe what I want right now is someone who's going to make me laugh. But I get the person that's going, oh, that's so terrible. Know what you want from people and ask them. I want some encouragement. I want you to help me get perspective. I want you to distract me. Make sure you know what you want from them. And to understand that the first person you reach out to may be dealing with their own stressors right now and say, you know, I understand if this isn't where you're at and thanks for listening to me. And then you reach out to somebody else. That is going to be in this new resource that we're calling What Now? Um, and it really gives those people who have never reached out the script to follow to do that. As we learn how to ask for help, one of the, the most difficult things, certainly that I find with the situation that we're in right now with COVID-19, is that we cannot be physically present for people when our physical presence would actually make an enormous difference, when we could help relieve, take things off people's shoulders, and we're actually prevented from doing that. Do you have any suggestions of how we can help, um, given the reality of the situation that we're in? You know, the ingenuity of people right now is just... Um, amazing. And again, Doretta, the idea of look for the helpers, um, look for what people are doing. So we have taught a 95-year-old how to use um, online video chat. We have um, found that we can have things delivered to anybody's home, wherever they are in the world, that we can order something and it will be brought to them. We have learned how to wash things, wash ourselves, deliver things safely ourselves. We have um, 
learned how to buy technology that can be on all the time so that um, especially people who may not be able to get around, they're just constantly connected to us. So there are ways that we can reach out and help. And yes, it would be lovely to give people a hug, but that is not possible right now. And there's many other ways that people can feel we're there for them, they're not alone. And when we talk about our new normal, this is going to be part of it is that those folks that are in um, nursing homes that are working in isolation, they never have to be all alone um, ever again. There's ways to connect. Do you think that COVID-19 has sort of opened your eyes to anything new about mental wellness? Do you think that it's going to change anything that we will come out of this differently? Oh, for sure. I think there's lots of things that are going to be different. I think that understanding your own mental health, being aware of it is going to be the new normal. I think that we're going to talk about it, that we're going to understand the importance of protecting psychological safety, both at work and in the rest of our lives. I don't think we're ever going to underestimate the power and the value of resilience. I think that for the rest of our lives, we're going to build resilience because we never know um, the extent or when we're going to need it again. One of the things, Doretta, that's in uh, the plan for resilience is something that we call the four A's. And this was uh, originally created at the University of Chicago and we've adapted it to make it even easier to use. The four A's are to accept, avoid, alter, or adapt. And we can use those when we're talking about any stressor, but it's especially valuable when we talk about a stressor that we have no power or control over, or at least we think we don't. So I'm going to use COVID-19, I'm going to use the pandemic as an example of how we would apply these four A's. And what's important is that for each of them, we actually think of the pros and the cons of applying that particular approach to the stressor. So let's start with accept. So when we're looking at this pandemic, to accept it, some of the cons may be, well, then you might minimize it or you might not um, take it seriously if you just say, well, it is what it is. And so we have to be careful that when we accept a stressor like this pandemic, that we're not minimizing, that we're not um, being delusional about it um, and we are giving it its proper due. On the other hand, the pros of accepting it are saying, okay, we're not going to wish that it wasn't here because it is here. We're not going to rage against it being here because that's not going to help. We're going to say, okay, this is the reality. If I accept that this is the reality, what are the things I can do to deal with it? You know, in terms of, my feelings, my emotions, but most importantly, my actions. If I accept that this is real, 
then what are the precautions I can take? I can listen to the best credible advice and I can follow it to the extent that I'm able and that's accepting. The next one is avoid. Okay, can we avoid this pandemic? At first you may say, well, that's ridiculous, that's in denial. Well, no, it's not because the positives about avoiding the pandemic are if I have accepted that it's real and I'm going to avoid it, that means that I will wear a mask when I'm out in public to try to stop the spread for myself or other people. I will stay home as much as I can. I will build up my immunity by eating healthy and exercising and doing all the things I can so that if I did get it, I would avoid the worst symptoms. And I will do whatever I can to avoid contracting it. Doesn't mean you avoid the stressor altogether. It means that you avoid the worst of it. Now, again, on the con side of avoiding, it means that we don't say I'm going to avoid it by staying in and never going out again. Because we need to think about, well, how will we manage? How will we have uh, social connection? How will we have a good quality of life? So uh, balancing that. When we talk about altering, altering means how can we change our environment? How can we change what's external to us to deal with it? And when we look at the pandemic, well, there's a lot of things. We can alter our environment by um, ha starting to put processes in place where our environment is clean, where we wash our hands. Um, somebody was saying the other day, you know, the recommendation is we wash our hands for 20 seconds, which is way longer than at least double the amount of time I ever washed my hands. But when I... Um, do it, I also know that 20 seconds of gratitude actually changes your physiology. And so I now use those 20 seconds of washing my hands to also be in a state of gratitude so that I'm doing double duty, right? I'm, I'm changing my physiology to be more positive and I am also protecting myself, altering the external environment while I'm actually altering my internal environment as well. So we think about what can we alter and make sure that the alterations don't actually make things worse, like having so much bleach that I am doing myself more damage and I'm putting myself more at risk because um, having exposure to a lot of chemicals right now is not good for our health either. So we, we need that balance. And then the last one is adapt, which is instead of the external environment, changing the way we interact with it. So gratitude that I just talked about is one. Focusing on a positive future is another way we can adapt. Reaching out to people and having them reach out to us. These are all ways we're changing our thoughts and emotions, which is what the adapt is. So you can see that if we take something like a pandemic, which some people might just say, you know, it's completely out of our control, and we start to focus on what we can control around our experience of this, that there's a lot we can do. 
So in that plan for resilience, look up the um, how we can choose our actions. And you can do that with literally any stressor. I did it when I was taking care of my mom at the end of her life. Um, I did it um, after I lost her. And you find that even these things that seem overwhelming, there's a lot we can do to bring ourselves back to the present moment, control what we can control, and choose how we will experience these things. As you talk about this plan for resilience, I wonder if we could explore a little bit exactly what resilience means. I mean, for a lot of us, we think about resilience as being kind of synonymous with strength. And um, and, and for some people, that evolves into a certain kind of stoicism. How do you see resilience? So what's funny, Doretta, is actually I saw resilience as blame the victim. So in other words we're going to have a toxic workplace or a toxic relationship or um, a difficult situation and you ought to be more resilient. In other words, you ought to suck it up. And for that reason, I resisted resilience for a long time. And then I found out that what resilience actually is, is the ability to deal with whatever life throws at you. And I can tell you for sure that life will throw at you frustration, relationship breakups, loss, tragedy, well, pandemics. And these things are inevitable. But what resilience decides for you is how you will bounce back after them. Not whether you will go through them, but how you recover and adapt to them. That framework, the Kubler-Ross change curve, those that are resilient certainly may bottom out, certainly may become very down, but then they pick themselves up and then they move forward. That's the resilience part where you're starting to experiment, where you're saying, okay, this, this was not what I had wanted to happen in my life right now, but I am going to look at my situation and decide where I'm going to go. So resilience is the ability to recover and adapt from adversity, whatever that adversity is. I now believe that it is our own responsibility to develop resilience for ourselves and our loved ones as part of our whole lifelong learning process. And that those who do have a quality of life that is far superior to those who do not build their resilience. Because if you don't build your resilience, you will stay down constantly. And that's not a great place to be. I've been there. I don't want to stay there. I want to find a way to move forward. Doretta, you may think that being stoic, saying I can do this, is resilience. And what I found out the hard way is that part of resilience is both the ability to give and receive uh, support from others. That that is the breaking point for many people, is that if you've never reached out, if you don't know how, 
then you can't bounce back because there's going to come a time when you need help and you don't know how to do it. Could you summarize for us just briefly some of the resources that you've referred to where people can, in fact, reach out for help? Um, sure. So on the website, Workplace Strategies for Mental Health, .ca, there is the plan for resilience. There's information um, in there about the four A's that we talked about. Um, there is a burnout response where um, those of you who listening think maybe I've already burned out, there's information there about how do you start to build yourself back up and move forward. There's information there about being a health advocate because so many people right now may be struggling because they're caring for a loved one either in their home or worse yet, not in their homes and they're trying to help. Being a health advocate has all sorts of online resources to help you help your loved one. There's information there about life stressors, like if you're dealing with domestic violence right now, and there's a lot of talk about that, is that it's much harder right now because you can't get out and get away. So how do you reach out? And there are ways that you can, even in this setting. There is information there um, about parenting. And if you're already stressed out, how do you manage to be a good parent when you're barely hanging on yourself. So Marianne, is there one thing that you've learned about yourself throughout this pandemic that you'd like to share? Well, I think what I learned is I am fairly strong, but I also am human. And I feel all the feels. <laughs> and that I get knocked down, but I get up again. <laughs> and that I realize more than ever that I love very deeply that relationships are the most important thing in life, but the next most important is purpose. That for me, I need to know that I can contribute, that I can be doing something that matters, that that's important to me, but that although relationships and purpose are most important to me, none of those things matter. If I don't have a roof over my head, if I don't have food to eat, and if I don't have my health. So Maslow was right, that we need to deal with our safety, we need to deal with our basic human needs, and then we can get to those other things that matter, to relationships and purpose. But to never think that work, money, is the most important thing, it just, it really comes down to that relationships and having a purpose are the most important things in my life. And I don't ever think that I will forget that. Uh, I was able to prove that that is true. Thank you so much for that. And thank you for all your insights. These will be very helpful for many people. You can click to the resources mentioned in this episode in the description for this podcast. This has been a special COVID-19 episode of Mastering Money, the Educator's Edition brought to you by Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada. If you'd like to get in touch with us, our email is financialliteracy at cpacanada.ca and you can write and review us on iTunes. In these uncertain times, be well, be kind, be safe. We're in this together. Mm -hmm.